Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. This is a bit of a solo podcast, I guess you could say. We got a lot of questions. I wanted to try to answer them all for you. So I'm going to do one of those segments where I just answer all of your questions as quickly as I possibly can, uh, as thoroughly as I possibly can. But we're also going to talk USC versus California. So we're going to get Ryan Gorsey uh, from BearTerritory.net in the second part of the show, and it'll be kind of a joint podcast. We'll just be kind of talking together, but I'll record it, and that'll be the second part of the show. So it should give you a pretty good um, preview of the USC versus Cal game. So if you have any questions, I've been saying this all week. Um, we love to, we love getting your questions. I can't count the number of questions you guys have sent in, but you got to keep them concise. Please keep them to a single point. We can't have a whole game recap and things like that. We just can't read all those. So if it's too long, I'm just going to skip over it. So try to keep them short, keep them concise. Our email address is podcast at uscfootball.com. And our phone number where you can call or text is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. And uh, you can get the podcast on iTunes, of course, uh, itunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. But we're also on Google Play and Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio. So people listen to it all different ways. Some people listen to it on our website, but a lot, most people listen to it. They subscribe, uh, through one of the different services and you should be able to find the Peristyle podcast that way. Download every episode. We're putting four or five of these out per week. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty busy on the podcasting front. Um, but hope you guys have been enjoying them. There's been a lot of, uh, stuff to talk about. You guys sent in, like I said, a ton of questions. I'm going to try to answer. A whole bunch of those today. So you guys sent in a whole bunch for Harvey Hyde, a whole bunch for Dan Weber, and then a whole bunch of kind of general ones. And that's what I'm going to do my best to answer today. We will also have, um, on either Thursday or Friday, our family feud podcast that has, it's our newest podcast in the Peristyle podcast family that has Keeley and Shotgun, uh, both uscfootball.com reporters giving their take. And, uh, it's kind of fun. You know, they're, they're less question based, more kind of segment based. And, uh, this podcast, you know, we, this is our 10th season. They've, it's always been, kind of been question based. I've, I've played with the idea of creating segments and things like that, but I don't know. Just everyone seems to love sending questions in. So we'll, we'll keep answering questions, I guess. Uh, today our podcast is sponsored, uh, by SeatGeek. So buying tickets to sporting events and concerts has always been complicated, but now there's a better, simpler way you can use SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, and there's nothing quite like seeing the Trojans in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It makes it super easy to shop for tickets. Uh, I can do it anywhere, just a few taps, instantly find seats. And I, you know, I especially love just kind of checking to see what the prices are for different ga- USC games, uh, you know, what the, what things are running, which one's more popular. Um, I do that all the time. So SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It'll save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. 
And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on its value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So the best of all, Parastel Podcast listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right. Okay, so let's uh, jump into the questions. Like I said, um, in the next segment, we'll have uh, Ryan Gorsey uh, from BearTerritory.net coming on, and he'll be uh, talking about Cal. We'll talk to him, USC and Cal, and all that kind of stuff. So here, let's go to a voicemail question. Hey, Ryan. It's uh, Andrew in San Diego. I was curious what your thoughts were about USC playing physical as they did against Stanford for the rest of the season, or are they going to try and spread it out and go quick and go tempo? Uh, for the rest of the season. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the question there. Um, yeah, you know, I talked to Tyson Helton yesterday. He said they still want to continue to be a run first team. I think because they had such success in the running game, um, that they're going to try to be a physical team, um, try to outrun people and I, you know, run over people. I don't think you're going to see the same kind of front from, you know, like a Texas team that you will in some of the other Pac-12 schools, maybe a Utah, but two kind of back-to-back physical teams in a row. USC got beat up a little bit with the injuries. But yeah, I don't see this being a try to run 100 plays a game sort of offense. I think it's going to be a balance, um, sometimes to a fault. If one one side is working, just do it. You know, I think, uh, you know, against Stanford, they were running the football. Just keep running it. They tried to force some passes in there. Against Stanford's good secondary, I didn't think it worked out that well. And then against Texas, same thing. That one run wasn't working. Texas was selling out to stop the run. Just throw the ball. You know, um, I think it's simple. Like, I think sometimes they want to make it balanced and oftentimes you don't need to be. If it's one game, I think you're balanced. If you can run all over somebody one game and then throw all over somebody, somebody the next game. So, uh, thanks for that question there. We got some, um, I got, man, I copied all these emails down and we got some late emails that were coming in too. So I'm going to try to go through these fast because we've got so many. Uh, this is from Charles. We are struggling at corner, particularly Jack Jones. Teams pick on him weekly. He can't play the whole game due to wearing down and often getting beat. When will we see Achille? He's talking about Achille Ross. Jack Jones was getting ate up, uh, by that Texas wide receiver last week. It was bad. And one interception doesn't mean he had good coverage. It was just a poorly thrown ball. Why is he taking this staff so long to? To give the five stars more time, the starters from last week aren't doing well. Um, drop passes that lead to pick six are not converting on third down. So I think he's talking about receivers in the second part. Um, no, I didn't think Jack Jones played that poorly. Uh, it, it's a big mismatch. I mean, I think on Iman Marshall, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He's going to have a, you know, he'll struggle sometime with, uh, faster receivers and Jack Jones isn't the tallest guy in the world. And you're not going to see these kind of big, tall, fast receivers from everybody. Um, but you know, you mentioned he got an interception. So, um, I think that was good. I don't think he played that poorly. I know our shotgun Spratling was going through the tape. He felt the same way. So, um, yeah, uh, I, you know, I think people are going to be a little harsh on these cornerbacks sometime. Let's see. We'll move on. we got a question from Sean. I enjoyed all the different shows that you and your team have been putting out lately. Uh, just an idea. Would you ever consider doing a round table show? With you and the rest of the team in studio at once, I know all your schedules must be hectic, but it sure would be great to hear the whole Parastyle family get together and talk Georgian football sometime. Maybe for a special occasion, Sean in Sacramento. That would be very hard uh, logistically to get everybody in the same room, having enough microphones for everybody 
and getting everybody enough time to talk. Um, you know, we've done, uh, Facebook lives where we've had like four of us on at one time. And even that gets, it gets hard. Uh, you know, we've had three on several occasions with like Keely and myself and Dan or shotgun or Harvey Hyde. Yeah. We could, we could try to do something like that, Sean, but logistically it just, uh, ends up being fairly, uh, difficult, but thanks for that. Um, question. We have one from Arthur art in the Bay area. Seems your last podcast, Mr. Weber was talking about player development. Can you ask any of your hosts? Uh, this is just me. I'll ask me. Uh, why haven't we seen a jump in any player group since McCullough? Who are the coaches for wide receivers, linebackers and corners? What are their track record for success of any players under their tutelage? Uh, thanks art in the Bay area. So yeah, we talked about dealing McCullough. I thought the development of the, the running backs have come along, uh, fine. Um, you know, I, I think you've seen some really good receivers under T. Martin. He coaches the um, wide receivers. Obviously, USC's kind of churned out a bunch of good ones there. Uh, as far as linebackers, uh, you're talking about outside guys um, and inside guys. It's you know, it's different. Uh, they have different coaches. You know, Clancy Pendergast is uh, basically the um, inside uh, linebacker group, and then Johnny Nansen is doing the outside linebackers. Um, and then as far as cornerbacks, you got Ronnie Bradford, uh, coaching there. So yeah, I think the, the jury's still out on that. There's been some movement, um, you know, players moving around or, uh, coaches moving around. I think the jury's still out. I mean, McCullough, I think he's made a, a huge impact right away. And, uh, you know, the other guys have been around. He's the only new guy. So I guess you could see kind of a big difference with him, uh, there. But I think certainly player develop, development is a very important aspect. Uh, for this program. And I think Clay Helton has to address that at the end of the year. If there's position groups that aren't developing uh, and doing as well, uh, make a change. Will he? I'm not really sure, but uh, those are the kind of things you have to do uh, when you're the head coach. Rex in Georgia. Dan said that Josh and Metor Bebe caught all kinds of passes during practice last week, as well as a couple other receivers. However, they did not judge for the game. Do you know what possible reason they would have for these guys not being available for the game? Rex, uh, we asked Josh, I think Shotgun asked Josh at Mentor Baby yesterday. He said he couldn't talk about it. Um, yeah, we don't really know. I think, uh, like a Randall Grimes was running scout team, uh, wildcat quarterback stuff that he didn't dress. Is it just cause he's going to redshirt and they're not dressing for that? Um, we haven't really got a full clear indication of what is going on there, but we'll, we'll do our best to kind of find that out. We just, at right now, we just don't know. It's, and yeah, we see guys do really well in practice all the time. It's happened for years and then they don't play in games. So I, you know, that's, that's nothing new. That's just something that it happens. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what you can do about that. Let's see. James in Kansas City. Dan's analysis of how to adjust to load the box scheme was spot on. A couple more thoughts. Uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on. Um, if Daniel Metro baby is healthy, would it make sense to also employ two tight end sets? Like New England, they actually do that already, uh, James. So they, they normally it's, uh, Eric Cromenhoke and, uh, Josh Fowler coming in together. So, uh, they've, they've done that, uh, already a couple of times. And then seems like there's enough evidence to conclude the brain trust needs to turn Sam loose. Uh, if he had a similar stellar group of receivers, it makes sense to execute the script, but his mobility and more importantly, his ability to throw accurately on the move is another weapon to make teams uh, make teams play for loading the box. He does it on his own when the situation becomes critical. Maybe should do it early and often. Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on the situation, James. And I think in that 
in the Texas game specifically, the way they were overloading one side of the line of scrimmage, they were selling out in the run, they were uh, confusing and beating the offensive line up front. Um, you know, you, you got to run away. You got to just run away from it. You know, I think they were running it just thinking that they could break one eventually and they weren't. Um, so let Sam Darrow go back there and make some plays, um, throw the ball downfield, make them pay, you know, for having a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage. I hate when, when teams line up with a, you know, you see a defense have a whole bunch of dudes at the line of scrimmage and they're trying to run like little quick plays that are right near the line of scrimmage. Like that's where all the defenders are that you have to, you know, take the receivers to the next level. And, you know, hit them, you know, if you want to hit them for a medium, uh, you know, intermediate route over the middle or whatever, something like that, where you're kind of moving it past the line of scrimmage. You know, I, I think USC did a good job of throwing out some screens that were really wide because they were really loading the box. But sometimes there's like press coverage and everyone's loading up near the line and you're trying to do all this, these plays near the line of scrimmage. It's just not working well. So, um, yeah, I, I think USC could have certainly done more of that. The ratio of runs to passes, 37 runs, 57, 51 passes. Dan Weber and I both agreed that it should have been, uh, more passes and less runs. And Clay Hilton was, was happy with the balance. So, um, there you go. Let's play another voicemail for you. Hey, it's Robin Yakaya calling after the thrilling game last night. Um, you know, we could really focus. We could really focus on the negatives, but I'm going to focus on the positives of this game. You know, under the last regime, this is the type of game that we would have lost, um, being outplayed on the line, having trouble with the wide receiver position, having trouble at the defensive back position, but they don't have Sam Darnold like we do. Texas obviously went down, made a touchdown, the lap with 35 seconds left on the clock, and we won that game like we did against Penn State, and I credit a lot of that to the resolve of this team. So fight on. We're 17-point favorite, one by three with all the mistakes that happened during the game. That's how a 17-point line goes down to three at the end. But Trojans won, and fight on. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Yeah, no, I think uh, you can, Jay, you can be positive about this. And, you know, if you look at what do you want to be positive about? Well, USC's won 12 games in a row and they've beaten teams like Texas and Washington and Oregon and Stanford and Notre Dame and UCLA and Penn State. So it's like, hey, is it always pretty? No, but it's college football. It's not always pretty. So there's the, we have the glass half full people, glass half empty. Um, I can see both sides. I mean, it's fine. Like it's got to be somewhere. In the middle, you can't just ignore everything that's going wrong and things that are fixable. And you can't just, um, hate on everything and, and, and poo poo and discount all of the wins and everything that was going on there. So, uh, yeah, Jay, I'm gonna, you know, keep that positive attitude. We like it. Let's see. Uh, we got a text, uh, from Robert. Does T Martin really expect us to believe that Jalen Green is good enough receiver that he can start him over Tyler Vaughn's, Joseph Lewis, Velas Jones, Josh Metterbete and Trayvon Sidney? Thanks for all the hard work keeping us informed. Um, Robert class of 2000. Okay. Just a development. I felt that Tyler Vaughn should have been starting. He was taking reps with the ones again. So he did in the beginning of fall camp. Um, and then, uh, Jalen Green took over a couple weeks in. Now Tyler Vaughn's was getting first team reps. So I think you're going to see Tyler Vaughn start this game. Um, Clay Helton had positive things to say about him. So, um, yeah, I, I, that the feeling I'm getting, um, is, Yes, 
Tyler Vaughn's is going to end up starting. I, you know, certainly, I, I think, uh, to be fair, Jalen Green had a really nice third down conversion catch early on, but, you know, that pick six was just terrible. And I think it's about confidence. Does Sam Darnold have confidence throwing to him or not? Or, you know, a bunch of receivers. I think there's a bunch of receivers that let him down. He seems to have more confidence throwing to Tyler Vaughn's. Almost had that touchdown uh, in the end zone. But that was the kind of effort you're like, wow, okay, that was pretty good. So he did everything but win the game for him on that catch. And it was pretty darn close. So, yeah, uh, I don't think you're going to see – I think you're going to see some shifting now. And I think Tyler Vaughn's will be in the starting lineup. So he had four catches in that game against Texas. Uh, let's go Brian and Reno. First of all, thanks for uh, for all you do. Uh, for us Trojan fans, it's greatly appreciated. I was wondering, uh, when USC was having a hard time running the ball, they didn't try any misdirection plays. Texas had some success with misdirection. Hoping to USC, USC do the same. Both teams are playing fast defensively. One would think to counter that speed. I also thought the offensive play calling was hit or miss. Not very imaginative, sort of basic, and our offensive line got pushed around. Didn't see that coming. Thank God for Sam and the defense. Fight on Brian and Reno. Yeah, no, I agree with all your points. Um, Thought they could have done some more of that. I think their their idea of the misdirection was, uh, I think there was a couple pitches like to Stephen Carr, but um, the really throwing it that long ball out to the, the screen to the sideline, where they had a mismatching and blocks. Sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes the blocks blew, but I think that was fairly effective. The screen game, so that was kind of what they were doing to counter it, but not. Uh, yeah, I don't. I agree with you. Uh, not enough. I think the one the. Uh, Touchdown, I think it was a Texas touchdown to the tight end where everyone was kind of going one way and they slipped the tight end out. I believe it was a tight end the other way and he was wide open. Um, yeah, I think Texas did a better job of some of those, but you can't, you know, the USC defense for, you know, 99% of the game was lights out and they didn't give up a touchdown until, you know, the last minute of regulation. David behind the orange curtain, fight on to the defense and the entire team for four quarters of great effort. Four quarters plus, David. Uh, not so much the play calling. Every time they ran to the right, everyone in the stands would groan. I guess uh, misdirection, bootlegs, and reverses are not part of the playbook. So same sort of thing he's saying. Keep hearing that Sam has thrown two picks per game. Simple question. How many of those picks had a healthy dose of help from the receiving core? I think Sam is doing a remarkable job. Never lets a bad result drag him down. Fight on, beat the Bears. David in the orange curtain. Uh, behind the orange curtain. Yeah, I talked to Tyson Hilton about this uh, yesterday actually, David, and uh, he doesn't really talk to Sam Dardo about the picks. Now, the one was completely a perfectly thrown ball. What are you going to do about that? Um, you know, there's been, you know, there's those have happened. I think he takes more chances, not just like taking bad chances. He throws the ball down the field. He throws the ball over the middle. This is not like the offense where you saw with Cody Kessler where there was a reluctance to take a chance downfield. He's making big plays downfield, and Tyson Helton does not want to change that he wants him to keep taking shots down the field and making big plays and throwing in the tight windows because that's what makes him special and i was asking him like so the ratio of like really good plays to a pick it seems like it's high enough that you're you're willing to live with those picks and it's like yeah i mean there's sometimes they happen they're gonna they're happen more uh than you would you know a little bit more than you would like but he doesn't want to like address it like, okay, we got to cut down on the interceptions. So don't go make plays. He makes plays. So yeah, you can, uh, the receivers need to catch the ball and that'll limit some. And some are just great plays by defenders. 
somewhere he might, you know, want to have the throwback. It's going to kind of be a combination of all those things. But as long as he's making the Sam Darnold plays, you can live with a mistake every once in a while. Harold from NorCal. He's NorCal Trojan. Aloha, Ryan and crew. Uh, Cal has quietly achieved the 3-0 record and looking rather decent in the process. Is there any reason to be concerned? I mean, I don't know what you wouldn't be concerned about. Like, are you concerned? If you're concerned that USC could lose the game, I guess there's some concern there because Cal's pretty good. And, uh, you know, Clay fired Justin Wilcox, right? So, um, you know, he might want a little bit of revenge. And, they, you know, he's got a great staff and uh, they're playing well. USC's a better team. Um, but if they don't play well, they're certainly capable of losing. Uh, which team will show up for the first road game of the season? That's a very good question. And how is Wilcox, how long has Wilcox had this game circled in his calendar? No, I think he has. Like this is, uh, you know, if they were lipping in at one and two, maybe it's not circled, but you know, they're three and oh. So not only if he had it circled, but they've actually won. It's like Texas had the game circled, but they lost. Um, so that kind of took some of the luster away. If, if Justin Wilcox circled this game like I think he did, well, they've gone three and oh. So now it's even all that more important. Um, and he says, yeah, this, this game won't probably be as easy as most ex- experts predicted. I agree. It's, uh, I think it's like a 17 ish point spread. So I think we, when I did my picks for the podcast of champions, I think it was 16 and a half. And, uh, I, I, I picked against USC and the point spread every time. And I'm two and one doing that. The only game they've covered was Stanford. I could see them covering this game easy, but that's a lot of points. Um, so I, you know, I think USC wins. The, the thing is about if USC plays poorly, they still have Sam Darnold to bail them out at the end. And that's what happened against Texas. USC played poorly and Sam Darnold bailed them out, but he's not bailing you out to beat a point spread. So, um, we'll see. All right. You know, I've picked Cal and the points, but I, I just something inside me is saying like USC might boat, boat race them. So. Uh, we will see. I don't know, but, um, I think odds are pretty good with those points there. Rich and Moncton, uh, Moncton, Maryland. Okay. Uh, after listening to the interview with Nico and how Texas caught the offensive line completely unprepared for a all out blitzing attack during the game, which had them struggling to figure out what to do, uh, would coach Clancy ever study this film to learn how to disrupt an opponent like this, uh, this offensively that like, okay, disrupt an opponent like this offensively that wants to run the ball. Okay. That's just worded weird. Uh, I guess in reality, this might be a useless question since most teams USC plays going forward are spread passing teams. At least this would be knowledge for an opponent in the future, not on the schedule. No, I mean, everything you do is a risk and reward. So Texas sold out to do, to stop one thing and USC kind of kept doing that thing. So they took a chance that USC wasn't going to exploit them uh, outside, you know, throwing the ball deep outside, you know, the, kind of just constantly doing that or pitching away from um, the overloaded side of the line. Uh, USC made a couple adjustments, uh, but not enough. Um, and I think, you know, Clancy Pendergast knows, you know, hey, I could sell out to stop the run. I could sell out to do this. You know, That's not really his style of time. He likes to bring a lot of different, uh, blitzes and, and, you know, he puts more speed on the field. He'd rather have a nickel package than stack the box with a bunch of linemen. He just doesn't do it all that often. Um, but those are different philosophies. Everything you do is better against some things and worse against others. You want to like, you want to some, you know, you'd love to have a defense that's best against 
what the offense you're facing does best, but also doesn't suck against other stuff, especially stuff that the, the you know, your opposing offense can do pretty well. Um, so it's all kind of a balance. I, you know, I just don't think USC exploited that enough. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure Clancy Pendergast learns from what other defenses are doing and, um, but, but he has his philosophy and, you know, unless it was something ground, you know, earth shattering that he's like, well, I won't really want to incorporate that. But I think all the coaches kind of learn every day, just like you learn in life every day. Um, now some people are stubborn and they, you know, they walk outside thinking the sky is orange and they see the sky is blue and they don't learn from that. And they continue to think the sky is orange. I don't know. You know, I mean, Clancy kind of is set in his way. So I'm not sure how much he's adapting. Um, to what he's seeing uh, opponents do there. Let's see, Bob, and you know, obviously the defense played really well, so what he was doing was working. Bob, class of 74, says, question involves a spectacular catch in the end zone by Tyler Vons that was ruled an incompletion on the field. One, do you believe it was a catch? Uh, I do not, uh, Bob. Two, does a rule define a catch as valid and a touchdown the second you catch it in the air? Uh, yeah, but I, God, I think we, I think we answered this uh, with Dan Weber, too. So I might have... Yeah, I believe I did this too with Dan Weber. So I'll just kind of recap. Uh, my apologies. I, I, I forgot we included this in both spots. Um, yeah, so we talked to Tyler Vaughns. He felt it was a catch, but you look at the replay. Uh, it doesn't seem like it. And it's a different rule when you're in the end zone when you, than when you're in the field uh, of play. And, uh, I, and, you know, I had heard some people say that it actually was, uh, quickly reviewed. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I think, you know, most people feel that was a good call. And after looking at it, I think it was too. Steven San Diego. Thanks for your excellent podcast. As a Trojan alumni fan and college football fan, we are lucky to be able to get our weekly, bi-weekly, heck, tri-weekly info on USC. Actually, four or five times weekly. Uh, Steve, upon further review, after watching the game again and listening to Nico Fala, why weren't there any halftime adjustments from Neil Calloway to handle the blitz? I love Coach Helton, but I'm questioning the caliber of the assistants. We may have to make a halftime adjustment like we did in the Pete Carroll version 1.0 days. Will Lin Swan finally allow us to hire extra administrative assistant staff to help the current coaching staff improve game strategy and help tutor them on adjustments? We won ugly, but we are 3-0. Fight on, Steven San Diego. Um, you know, I, like I said, I think they made uh, some adjustments, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like this halftime sort of thing. It was almost play by play. Um, you know, when you would see, you know, I, you know, Watching the game again, you know, I think in third and long, you would see Texas drop everybody back into coverage. On the earlier downs, they would sell out to stop the run. And so I think in those kind of situations where, you know, hey, if they're selling out to stop the run, and they ran a lot of, you know, run play, run pass options, and, and Clay Helton said that, you know, they were successful doing those. But it was kind of a situation where you really need to adjust things and, and adjust your play calling, throw the ball downfield more. Um, you know, kind of abandoning the run until they, they back off and then start running again. Um, I think you're going to see stuff like that. But as far as the offensive line goes, yeah, I think, you know, I, I was the one to talk to Nico Fala afterwards and, you know, didn't seem like there was a lot of adjustments. Um, they did stuff they didn't see on film and for a little while, that's fine. But after a while, you kind of figure, you have to figure this out. And this was a really good athletic Texas front, uh, that they were having trouble with. So it wasn't just like, yeah, you could be physically get beat physically sometimes, but there was a lot of schematic uh, breakdowns too. So yeah, I I think they needed to do a better job of that. And uh, Neil Calloway didn't talk a whole lot yesterday. He doesn't say a whole lot anyway. Um, I didn't get to talk to him. I was I think I was talking to Tyson Hilton at the time, 
and he kind of ended that scrum quickly. So you're not going to get a whole lot of information out of uh, Neil Callaway. Bill Plano in Texas. Uh, I'm sorry, Bill, Bill in Plano, Texas. My apologies. I've done a lot of podcasts over the last uh, 48 hours. Should Texas have gone for a two-point conversion after its overtime touchdown? Um, I talked to David Woods about this on our podcast of Champions. That's another podcast we do. That's all Pac-12 one if you want to look that one up. Yeah, David felt he should, and I kind of do too, looking at the um, – it just didn't seem like they were going to be able to stop uh, USC and, you know, that that final touchdown that Texas scored, I mean, they had to make some really good plays uh, in the final one in, in regulation, and then the final one in over in the you know, the one in overtime. Um, yeah, I I just didn't see them being able to go toe for toe with what USC was doing when they just stopped running and throwing the football. Um, I think it was going to be I think it was going to be difficult. So going for two, but you know, to be fair, Texas was going to score a touchdown on their second overtime possession also by running Sam Ellinger up the middle a couple of times, but then Christian Rector stripped them and that kind of ended all that. But yeah, I think, you know, on the road, I don't mind putting it, you know, putting it in that kind of a, you know, in, in your quarterback's hands. Um, you know, they had that big running back, Chris Warren. They didn't really use all that much. Yeah. I, I think they probably should have in that situation. Uh, let's see. Aloha, double H Dan and podcast team. This is Harold again. I'm sure you're busy with emergency podcasts and rant line after this one. Uh, we don't have the rant line. We, but we do have the voicemail line. And yeah, there was a lot of calls and, uh, didn't do an emergency podcast. So, uh, I'll just say that I'm glad that the team came out with a win. Blood was pumping to the max. Uh, I feel like there are a lot more questions after a win like that. Last week, uh, a caller spoke of the Jekyll and Hyde complex that was on clear display today. So many drop balls, so many missed opportunities. How about the concept of developing an identity? It seemed the offense didn't have a good game plan coming into today. It led to grab bag play calling uh, that Dan used to talk about. At one point, it felt like Sark was in the booth. Perhaps it was just a letdown situation after beating the farm last week. Texas D looked good, good though. I haven't seen Darnold look that flushed, uh, flustered before. Big shout out to McGrath. Instantless celebrity status. Uh, continue to drop that knowledge. Fight on from Harold. Yeah, it was, uh, I forgot to mention the grab baggy stuff. I tweeted that out too. It just didn't feel like there was a flow offensively. And it felt like they were running plays for the sake of running them. Like, Hey, we need, really need to run the ball a couple of times. So let's do that. Even though it's not working and it doesn't seem to be in the flow of the game. So that was a, a kind of a big issue there. T, T Martin was, um, not happy. I guess you could say he stayed 40 minutes after practice working with receivers. Uh, catching the ball, um, you know, he was frustrated. I mean, his name's come up on a lot of uh, opportunities for big jobs after this, and he doesn't want to screw that up. Um, not saying he definitely wants to leave, but I, I think he'd like to be a head coach. But if people start questioning the play calling all the time, if the receivers are playing poorly, that's not a good look for him. So he took all of that fairly personally. Um, and uh, not, not that it's like a personal thing, just that he took, you know, the way they played to heart and was doing whatever he could to, to make that right yesterday at practice. And I'm sure he'll do more today. Uh, Mark, Rector, Rector, Rector. Is that like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha from Brady Bunch? Wow. Why haven't we seen more of him in games? He dominated the game, reminded me of Pete Carroll's defensive lineman. After rewatching the UT game, it reminded me of a Pete Carroll defensive team. We were big up front, dominated, sacked, and had turnovers. Uh, and that was, 
uh, that we are better and stronger than you attitude. The only weak area was the corners. I'm wondering uh, what Coach H uh, would change on this defense. Would he change the defense to a typical 4-3 or 3-4? From my understanding, Coach P plays 4-2-5. We have the athletes in depth to run a mean, aggressive, and powerful defense. Mark. Oh, Mark, I didn't realize. So you didn't say Coach Harvey Hyde. You said Coach H, and I missed that. I thought you were talking about Coach Helton, but I think you were asking this to Coach Harvey Hyde. Obviously, he's not um, on the show today, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of address what you're going on. Yeah, turnovers were big. Uh, I talked to Clancy Pendergast about before the game. They only had one turnover in the first two games, so getting some turnovers in this one was big. Um, yeah, there were some weak spots on the cornerbacks, but I think you know, I think overall they played all right. He runs. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's like a 3-4, but it's like a 5-2. Uh, I'm sorry. It's like a 4-2-5 sort of thing where they have – um, two down linemen, two kind of rush outside linebackers, three linebackers. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, two inside linebackers and then five defensive backs. So that's basically what they're, they're running most of the time. You didn't do that against Stanford. Uh, but that's the, that's his base defense. Um, they're not changing it. So, um, yeah, don't, you know, that's what he does. So they're not, as long as he's a defensive coordinator, they're not switching to like a four three or anything like that. And, uh, Christian Rector did play really well. He was getting on the field the first two games too, but it was, he was a third down guy. So they were bringing him in as like a pass rushing defensive tackle. Uh, he's a lot bigger than he was when he came, uh, into the program from Loyola. So props to him, made some big plays, big plays in the backfield. Nothing bigger than that strip that he got, um, in the Texas game in double overtime. That one was huge. Matt in D.C., regarding the running game, it seemed that the line was opening up some decent holes, but the Texas linebackers would always squirt through to tackle Jones or Carr in the backfield. Why weren't we making adjustments, using Malapii at fullback to go through the first hole and take out the linebacker so the new Thunder and Lightning could do their thing? Uh, Matt in D.C., I, don't, I think in this case, Matt, I don't think a fullback would have helped all that much. I mean, it was like, uh, it was just like these, you saw the Texas you know, jerseys kind of squirting through the line in different spots. And a lot of it was scheme. A lot of it was like one side would get overloaded. They're getting into the backfield. USC didn't really adjust to it. Now they did block. Okay. At times they were, you know, it wasn't like they had zero running game, but they under, you know, under two yards per carry, you got to do something else to open things up. I don't, I don't think if you can't figure out, you know, the blocking schemes, then you just have to sit back and pass block and throw the football down the field, make them back off. Sure. They're, they're daring you to throw. You can throw, so throw. Um, that's what I would say. I, I don't think a fullback, there were so many dudes in the backfield, like he can only block one guy. Um, Neil wants to know, are penalties unfixable at this point? Uh, it's kind of been the USC's identity for as long as you can remember. This was a team that always got a lot of penalties. Um, I think they have to look at them. You know, are they ones that are of aggression? Or are they ones that are just um, silly? There was definitely some silly ones. Uh, I think after the interception, uh, USC went backwards, the, the Jack Jones interception, which seemed like a big momentum play. Um, you know, I think they got like a delay of game and then it was, I mean, just stupid stuff like that. Like you don't need, um, and that's, the, you know, I put some of that on the coaches too, but, um, penalties on special teams, like there's, there's stuff that you can eliminate. So I think it's all fixable or a good part of it's fixable. And some of it's just like aggression. Some of it's packed 12 refs. I thought the refs were like bad in this game too helping USC. Like the, I thought the Stanford, they were, you know, they were by, I'm not saying they're biased. They were bad, mostly to the benefit of Stanford. I thought in this game, they were bad, 
mostly to the benefit of USC. So um, I think it's more about incompetence when it comes to officials, but you got to try to put yourself in fewer positions where that kind of stuff is going to creep in and, uh, and hurt you. Let's see. Otis says, Hey Ryan, when's a win? Just ask UCLA and Stanford. Yes, they both lost. Uh, so when will Sam Darnold start doing QB keeps at the goal line or just QB keeps in general? Five to seven yards can change everything. P.S. I'm glad they went through that. Not all the games are going to get, go your way. You have to learn to win ugly. I think it's a great point. You do, if you blow everyone out all the time, and I think Alabama's done this, uh, and then once they get in a tight game, you've never been there before. USC's been there before. USC's had to kick a field goal at the end of the game. And, uh, they did that. Now it was a different kicker and he's a true freshman. It's a walk on. He did it twice, but the team in general, everyone's done, they've done those things before. So they've had these heart attack sort of games. Um, so yeah, I think that certainly helps. And, you know, we're not seeing as much, uh, Sam Darnold run the football. And I forget, I know Dan talked to him specifically. Um, he, I think Clay Helton was saying that, you know, it's, it's more about Sam Darnold knowing what he wants to do. Um, I would like to see them in, uh, under center more in those real short yard situations and give him the option to kind of sneak things like that. Um, I hate shotgun, uh, in like fourth and one or, you know, at the goal line. Like, I just hate that kind of stuff, but yeah, I, I you know, Sam Darrow got banged up a little bit too. I mean, he got hit a lot in that game more than normal. So I think you're a little reluctant to kind of run him. Let's see. Trojan fan Derek and Covina. I have to say that you always, uh, I have to say thank you for always helping us Trojan fans have an outlet when we need to get our thoughts off our chest. On that note, I really thought someone would have changed the game plan when the run wasn't working up the middle. We did a better job when the running backs went out in the flat or, or went upfield. Uh, yeah, I agree. We kind of talked about that a lot already. Uh, and when a wide receiver like Johnson from Texas was beating our cornerbacks one on one, why didn't the defense get help? It seemed like, uh, like no one was coaching skills, uh, can see the obvious. Why didn't they make the, an adjustment? I do realize that when we play against Stanford, uh, we played against Stanford was perfect and it showed the Texas game had flaws, but our Trojans manned up and beat a good team. Thanks, Trojan fan and Derek. Um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to adjust to the, um, wide receivers that you're seeing from Texas. They were all big and fast and strong. I mean, there was a lot of mismatches there and Clancy Pendergast isn't one that drops eight guys in the coverage a lot. He's more about forcing the action, making plays and relying on the corners to uh, make a play. But it's hard to be critical, man. For the, for the most of the game, Texas couldn't move the ball. Like the, the defensive plan worked. Um, the offense let USC down. Like if, if the offense scores any points, then you're not going to see, uh, does Texas score that late touchdown where they took the lead? No, USC should have been up by more than that. You know, if USC's up by a couple of touchdowns, Texas might not score an offensive point, you know? Um, so that I put that, you know, I, I don't think you could fault what the defensive backs were doing. Any, anybody, the defense played, uh, did what they had to do. So, um, I think in those kind of situations, it's like, yeah, it's not on the defense. Let's, uh, let's see. We'll play this one voicemail for you. This is Paul from Central Virginia. Um, listening to you guys and listening to the, to the uh, Peristyle podcast uh, reports from this week, it just seems to me like they're the coaches are taking it taking Texas a little bit lightly. There's kind of a laissez-faire uh, kind of approach toward the defense of uh, we're going to put these backups in here and so on. Uh, um, I sure hope they learn their lesson 
from Western Michigan because uh, uh, I think Texas could surprise them this weekend. What do you all think? Yeah, um, so I guess this came in before, uh, obviously, um, before the show, um, before we, uh, I mean, before the game. Yes, <laughs> Texas could surprise you in hindsight. Um, no, I mean, you kind of felt that way. Like, this was a talented team. You knew Tom Herman would be up for it. Uh, you knew he hasn't lost to a, uh, a ranked opponent before as the head coach. He's very good at getting teams up for the bigger games. He, his flaws have been the Maryland's of the world. He can lose those kind of games. So the, the good thing for USC is like Texas gave USC everything they had. They threw everything at them, prepared all they could for this game, changed things up and USC still won. So, uh, that, that's why I wanted to play that one because yeah, there's a reason. I mean, people felt like this was, a, you know, I picked Texas to cover the spread. It was a huge spread. I didn't think that was going to be. Um, you know, achievable winning by that many points. Um, obviously I was right, but that Texas gave a way bigger, you know, a much tougher fight than I thought. I thought it'd be more like a 10 point game and uh, it really just wasn't close. I mean, USC could not score and I did not see that happening. Uh, let's see. We got Rex in Georgia. He said, thank the Lord for the win, but we have a few issues. Uh, defensive backs cannot fall down, period. That's a good point. He goes, also, if you're playing a six, six receiver, could Cook come in and play the bigger guy with his size? Yeah, Cook's tall. Um, Jamel Cook he's talking about. You can't fall down. Uh, Iman Marshall tried to like bully a, a bigger receiver on the first play of the game and, and basically got knocked down. We've seen guys be on the ground before. You have to stay on your feet. That can't happen. I, no, I would love to see Cook come in in situations, but that, I don't think they trust him. He's not sniffing the field right now. So there's something going on there. But don't expect Cook to come in because, oh, they got tall receivers. Like, he didn't come in against Texas. He's not coming in unless something changes. But as the way Clancy Pendergast feels about him right now, for whatever reason, I would not expect to see him in a game in a meaningful situation. Uh, we took a timeout at the goal line to get Ronald Jones up the middle when we were, uh, when we were getting no push. Yeah, I didn't like that, uh, either. That, that just was bad. I mean, there were just too many, you know, red zone mistakes, a lot of red zone mistakes. I love Clancy, but we need to rotate some guys, uh, maybe one at a time. They obviously have the talents we saw last night. Uh, thanks, fight on, Rex and Georgia. Uh, PS can't throw to green across the middle again. We've talked about those two. Yeah, I, you know, it's just not his way to, to rotate guys, but then you, you have a problem where you're putting dudes in and they haven't performed. Now, Christian Rector was getting in, uh, situationally, third down. So that was his role. It wasn't like a, he came in when someone was tired. He was a third down guy. And he had experience and he had, he was forced into action this game and he performed really well. But other guys, like a Levi Jones comes in, he, he had one or two plays or something. He like forced a, uh, incomplete pass, almost got a sack. Um, you know, that, that's great. You can come off the bench cold and do that, but you would like to see those guys get more turns. And I think USC has to get leads, um, and, you know, big leads and, and allow that to happen. We just haven't seen that. Um, lately i mean you're not seeing guys get into games um that should be uh we're not going to see matt fink uh get any snaps when usc's in tight ball game so if you have a chance to stretch your wings and um get up by three or four scores do it um uh, maybe there's a situation and you can do it against cal i don't know they're playing pretty well it's, it's hard for me to picture that on the road but if they do you're playing well and you have a chance to step on their throats do it and get some of these younger guys time because I just don't see it happening 
Um, it's just not his philosophy. He doesn't like to substitute a lot. So he plays the starters until he doesn't have to. Neil in Manila. Is it just me or is it also a good thing that USC found a way to win despite getting Texas's best shot combined with many injuries for the Trojans? Finding ways to win even in bad circumstances is a good characteristic of a championship team. Talk about this, Neil. Yeah, it's, I, I think it certainly is. Uh, and on the injuries, we talked about this with Dan a little bit. Not all that bad. You know, there's a bunch of guys that were held out yesterday, but for the most part, it's pretty good. I think Daniel Metorbebe, um, that's the one that's just, uh, it's hurting USC because he's like the dynamic play catching tight end. Uh, Tyler Petit does not seem like he's that guy. Um, you know, I, I think Kerry Angeline can be, but he's not really getting those kind of situations. They threw the ball to Tyler Petit in critical situations a lot. And for the most part, it was not fruitful. So it just didn't look comfortable. Uh, and I don't think Sam Darnold threw his worst passes seemed to go to Petit. Now, I don't know if it's a situation where he's trying to put it perfectly to give Petit a chance to catch it. He doesn't have confidence. I don't know, but it, it, that was not a good connection. So the biggest injury to me, I mean, like a Daniel Mentor Bebe, uh, you know, we didn't see Rasheem Green practice yesterday. He was held out, but you get the feeling he's going to be okay. You know, Jenny Harris, uh, Ichenen Wusu came out. He's obviously big, but nothing huge. Like Texas lost their all American, you know, left tackle, like for the season. Like that's, that's huge. I didn't see something like that in the Texas game. And you learn, you know, you learn from those kind of mistakes and, uh, you can kind of move on. Uh, how soon can USC award Chase McGrath a scholarship? Even though the offense was lackluster, I hope your listeners can remain positive and respectful. Admire a group of young men who fought hard through two overtimes, Eric and Duck Country. Okay. So I talked about this a little bit on Dan's show on the, the Dan Weber podcast from yesterday. USC's already given out scholarships to re- guy they've recruited. So, um, you know, they had, uh, Matt Bormeister on scholarship. You know, he's off the team now. They had, they have Michael Brown on scholarship. They have Chris Tilby on scholarship and those guys couldn't even win the job. So I feel that they, they give too many scholarships out of the gate. Like don't recruit, you know, you can get good kickers that are walk-ons. Most people seem to do that. Um, you know, I just feel like a John Baxter is uh, a commanding presence and he demands resources and he's getting, you know, he's got a scholarship snapper and kicker and punter and two of those guys aren't doing anything. Um, I like this situation where bring them in as a walk-on. You know, the guy's blue-shirted. Like, they could have came in a walk as walk-ons. Um, and then if you win the job and you're doing well, give him a scholarship. I don't. I think it could be hard to put Chase McGrath on scholarship. Um, we talked about there's some Title IX issues and stuff too, but um, I think there's one or two spots left that they could use it on. But in this situation, it's like you already have a kicker on scholarship. Um, I mean, how many kickers do you want on scholarship? So... Yeah, uh, I'm not, you know, I'd wait it out and see. Um, he came in as a walk on. Um, you know, it's great that he's playing and it's great that he's playing well. And you want to see all these guys get scholarships, but I think you're already utilizing too many scholarships for special teams. So that's just my opinion. Um, you know, if something happens like Michael Brown transfers and then you got one open up, that's cool. Um, but to have two kickers and a punter and a snapper all on scholarship. It's just to me, it just seems like that's not utilizing your resources correctly. Let these guys come in and compete. Someone's doing well. Give them a scholarship then. Um, so we'll see. That's just my opinion. Earl of West LA. Recently, the Pac-12 Network featured a 12 best football players from each school. I watched a show on USC. My first thought was, how do you only pick 12 when the list would be incomplete 
without the seven Heisman Trophy winners. That being said, my question is, um, what, uh, let's see, for you to name the five best Trojan players of all time who did not win the Heisman. Bonus question, how many great players can you name who uh, didn't make your list of five, Earl in West L.A.? Earl, I'm just kind of swamped for time right now, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But, yeah, it's it's hard in general for USC because you got all the Heisman. So USC only retires um, jerseys of Heisman Trophy winners, right? There's been a lot of great players uh, that didn't win the Heisman. Um, but, you know, obviously defensive players. Uh, offensive lineman, you know, like an Anthony Munoz, who, you know, he was a better pro than I think when you heard at USC, but like a Ronnie Lott. Um, there's a lot of dudes that, um, that you could kind of put on there. I didn't watch, I'll have to go back and watch the feature and see who they kind of put on, but you know, like a Richard Wood, Woods with only three time All American, uh, for USC or guys that, you know, like an Adoree or someone like guys that won Thorpe or Butkus Award, like a Chris Claiborne. Like if you could look at like other award winners, uh, things like that. Even other running backs that, um, you know, didn't win the Heisman, like an Anthony Davis. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of dudes that you could put on there, like paring it down. What's the criteria? There's just so many. Um, I think it would be very hard to do. Let's see. We got, uh, Chuck in Texas. He said, what a great win for the Trojans. He said, what it do, Ryan, to start. Uh, what a great win for the Trojans. Once again, Sam Darnold time and time again has bailed out the coaches. T Martin is not a big time play caller and an average receivers coach. Well, that's harsh. Helton still mismanages a lot of time. Uh, I think that's fair. Darnold is a real coach on the offensive side of the ball. Can we put in, put stick them on these receivers gloves? One more thing. Clancy is doing a decent job. The defense was giving away, uh, giving the game away in the fourth. Can he learn to rotate so we don't wear down in the fourth quarter? One more thing, Connor Murphy is not a defensive end. Super slow. Thanks, Ryan. Okay, so I don't think it was, you know, not rotating that, you know, what was happening in the fourth. I think it was just critical situations. You know, Texas had to open things up and going forward on fourth downs and they, you know, they had to convert on a fourth, fourth and 10 or whatever to, to score there. They wouldn't have done that earlier in the game. Um, yeah, overall, I think Clancy Pendergast did great, but I think if you watch some of the other games and you're like, Hey, Clancy Pendergast is terrible. You watch the Stanford game. You're like, well, T Martin's great. You watch the Texas game, say T Martin's play terrible. I, I did feel like the philosophy of the play calling it, it was lacking uh, in that game where I thought it was good and some of the other ones. So yeah, I mean, it's, you can't just judge everything on one, uh, one game time management. You know, I think there's some, some issues there, uh, but not as bad as I've seen. Um, other places, uh, there's some, some pretty, pretty bad ones, uh, out there, but you know, you talk about a 39 second drive, that time was managed, uh, pretty well. So, uh, you watch Florida when they beat Tennessee, their final drive was managed very, very, very poorly. They wasted all this time. They didn't, they had timeouts. USC didn't even have timeouts on their 39 second drive. Florida uses, wastes all that time. And then. Uh, ends up throwing up a Hail Mary. That wasn't really a Hail Mary. It was just like a deep ball that Tennessee gave up the touchdown on. So they basically could have moved down the field and kicked a field goal like Sam Darnold did. They moved a little bit, didn't t- call timeout, wasted all the time, had to stop the clock with like eight seconds left, and the only option then was to throw a Hail Mary. And they did, and it worked. And they ended up winning the game right there. So that was really bad mismanagement of time. All right, got one last question. Phew, there's a lot. Um... Why doesn't T. Martin call more rollouts? I feel like during the Texas game, we continually saw Dan, 
Sam drop back in the pocket. He thrives when he's rolling out and on the move, so why not play to his strengths? Sincerely, Carson in Utah. Yeah, and I think especially he likes rolling to his right a lot, and uh, you saw them overload uh, his backside uh, when that jump pass to Stephen Carr. Uh, that was, you know, uh, linebacker coming free. They overloaded that side of the line. Um, now, could Texas make an adjustment and and kind of overload the side he's rolling to? He doesn't roll to his left a whole lot, but yeah, could could it be a play where it's an option? No, there were definitely some run pass option stuff, but where is an option that he can kind of roll out to the side where there's a, uh, uh, you know, less defensive uh, Texas players? I think sometimes too he got a little confused and he has to call out the Mike linebacker and it wasn't always in the middle and um, they you know when they were bunching up you know a bunch of defenders on one side I think it was confusing to Sam I think it was confusing to the offensive line. Just USC didn't seem all that prepared for it. But yeah, I think in those kind of situations, get him on the run, let him be on the move. Uh, he got sacked a little bit more than you would like. Um, there's certainly a lot of pressure on him. Now, he's got a great knack for feeling the pressure and getting away on his own. And you see that happen sometimes. But yeah, they could have helped him out more, Carson, by uh, doing a few more of those. But yeah, I, I, I think T. Martin kind of looks back and realizes that yeah, there wasn't the best uh, game plan, play calling, all that kind of stuff stuff that they really kind of need to fix. So, okay. So whew, that was a lot. Um, and we're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to talk uh, some USC versus California football. Yes. We're going to talk with Ryan Gorsey from BearTerritory.net. After this quick break, we'll be right back previewing USC versus Cal. You are listening to the Peristyle podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome into the Bear Republic Podcast, our second episode this week. This is Ryan Gorsey, publisher of BearTerritory.net for Scout.com, and I've got with me Ryan Abraham. It's the Ryan and Ryan Show uh, here on Scout.com. Ryan Abraham, of course, a longtime publisher for two decades now of USC yes. football. Dot com. Uh, happy, happy, uh, what, what anniversary is this now? 20 years. Yeah. Gosh. Just, hey, Ryan. Yeah, it's like our 22nd season, I believe, covering the uh, USC football team. So it's been, it's been a while. It's been a minute or two. Yeah, I don't think anyone, uh, no one's lasted that long covering Cal, uh, simply because the, the cardiovascular strain of it all uh, <laughs> is, 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 is far too difficult, far more than any single person can bear. Of course, Cal, USC, we're going to have the, 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 the most beautiful uniform matchup you will see, I think, this season. Cal in the Joe Roth throwback 1975 uniforms against USC. Of course, we all saw this back in 2007 uh, when Cal played USC. Or no, I believe it's 2006. Uh, no, yeah, it had to be 2007 when Cal played USC here. Close game at Memorial Stadium. Obviously, it's been a while. Since we've seen these, uh, and and USC and Cal in very different uh, very different places from where they were uh, those years ago. USC ranked number four, and Cal rebuilding. 
USC this week, last week against Texas, not the greatest game, probably not very satisfied with it, but you did get a win. What were some of the biggest frustrations for USC fans uh, in that double overtime win over Texas? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I think people were happy in general just because it was exciting and they kind of give Texas a little bit of the heartbreaking uh, revenge that USC fans got back in the 2006 Rose Bowl. Obviously, it's not. It's a game that's. You know, you're talking about a, a one and two Texas team now, and it, it's not like it was for the national championship like then. But I think the fans, a lot of them were happy, but a lot of them are just kind of looking at some of the warts and seeing the concerns of not being able to run the football and some of the the coverages in the secondary matching up with some of the big, fast, wide receivers that Texas had. So I think it's kind of a mixed bag, Ryan. There's there's some fans that are just, hey, it's, I mean, when you look at it, USC's won 12 games in a row. And they've beaten a lot of blue blood programs like Penn State and Texas and Washington and Oregon, UCLA and Stanford and blah, blah, you can go on. Um, so that's still pretty good. But did they play up to their potential against Texas? Certainly not. Um, so they're kind of hoping that, you know, maybe there was a lot put into that Stanford game and they can kind of move forward and bounce back against Cal, which is a Cal team that you thought would be fairly terrible going into the season with brand new hosts. <laughs> and now they're, they look really good. So two, you know, two of the better out of conference wins that you're going to see from Cal. So I, I think this Cal game has USC's fans attention because they didn't play that well against Texas and Cal looks way better. And I'm looking at the numbers from the Texas game, 37 rushes for 71 yards for a team that's got a guy uh, like Stephen Carr, who's been absolutely spectacular this year in a variety of ways and a variety of roles and Ronald Jones, a second who has given Cal trouble in the past, why was USC not able to run the ball on Texas? Cal last year uh, well, didn't have great success running the ball against Texas, but they did at least a little bit. What what, what was the issue there? Yeah, I think I uh, talked to the offensive linemen. They felt that um, there was uh, some blocking schemes. Or, you know, they, they were doing the Texas was doing some stunts and blitzes that they hadn't seen on film, that they were selling out to stop the run. And USC didn't know what to do. They, they hadn't seen it before. Uh, it just did seem like this was a game that Tom Herman had circled. They were going to do a lot of different stuff. We're going to show them different things, maybe to the detriment of their, their opener against Maryland because they had, you know, looked a little more vanilla and they lost that game, but they were really physical at the point of attack. They overloaded one side and they, they made USC or they, they forced USC to try to make some adjustments and they weren't really able to do that. So I wasn't blaming the running backs. You would see them try to run the ball and, be, you know, as they touch it, there's someone in the backfield already and they didn't run away from it. And they, to the point, you know, they had 37 rushes. I thought that was probably 15 too many. Like USC can be a very balanced offense. They ran the ball more than they threw it against Stanford. But if it's not working, you still have a good quarterback. Um, then you start throwing the ball. So I, I felt like they were kind of be, trying to be balanced, Ryan, for the sake of being balanced, and that was uh, that was a bit of a problem. And gosh, you know, Sam Darnold, like you said, you got a hell of a quarterback. He's completing sixty-seven percent of his passes. He's already got a thousand passing yards, three games, and that 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 seemed to me to be the you know you, you hear you hear so many offense coordinators go, well, you look at the numbers in the box, and if you got eight in the box, seven in the box, you throw it, and if you have fewer, then you run it. And and run, you, you have Sam Darnold, you have uh, <laughs> Mister. That you have the ginger Heisman. Why not? Why not? Uh, why not let him? And he still threw for over 400 yards. Yeah. Uh, 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 against Texas, but you know, you look, you look at that number. You know, he threw for over 400 yards. You think, okay, where are the points? Right. I mean, he could have thrown for 
600 yards. Like it really the way that they were doing it. I think that USC had so much success running the ball against Stanford and it was just kind of hard to get that out of your heads that, Hey, we can do it. We can break one there. You know, there's something that, that I feel like that's what the coaches were saying and they just couldn't like there, there really wasn't much of the ground game. And I think you could have softened it up by just saying, all right, you know, and we've seen Pete Carroll teams do that before. I think it was against Michigan, uh, one of the Rose Bowls or something where they just had like John David Booty throw the ball the entire second half. You know, it's like if they're stopping something and they're selling out to do it, do the other thing. You can do both things well. If they're, you know, playing everyone back in coverage, just run the ball till they stop, you know? And so I just feel like USC didn't adjust all that much. They were trying to be balanced. They were trying to do both. And that situation is just like, yeah, like let your ginger Heisman, uh, like you said, uh, take you down the field and just let them throw it all over the place. Now, the thing that stuck out with me, as you said, and as you and Coach Harvey Hyde talked about on the Peristyle podcast earlier this week, the thing that struck me the most is talking about those blitzes and stunts that, 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 that Texas applied and the twists in their defensive line. And that is precisely what we have seen out of Cal's defense so far this year. I've seen James Looney, Cal's defensive end, formerly defensive tackle. I've seen him go through four different gaps in the offensive line over the course of the season. And in three games. And it, it's, it's been, it's so different from Cal defenses of the past four years in that it is actually a defense. There is, there is complexity to it. <laughs> There's there an is, actual defense? <laughs> yeah. There is nuance to it. I mean, if you would have told me a year ago that Cal was going to beat, uh, that, that Cal was going to beat Ole Miss because of running and defense, I would have laughed in your face. And, 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 and thrown like a coffee, you know, and throwing a cup of coffee at it. I'm like, no, why are you doing this? You're taunting me. That's not nice. And, and hey, look what happened. Cal has done that not only to Ole Miss, they did it, uh, to North Carolina as well. So, uh, well, hey, be, uh, Ryan, I wanted to ask you about that actually, because yeah. like I've covered Tim DeRuiter when he was at Fresno State and, uh, you know, I thought he was a great defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Um, and you know, I thought he did some really good things the first couple of years at Fresno State. I think recruiting was the biggest problem. They just didn't recruit locally in the Central Valley. Um, and, uh, it just, it was hard. They were trying to recruit Texas a lot. It just didn't seem to work. And I think the talent level just dropped off after a few years. But I've seen Justin Wilcox, you know, he was at USC. Um, his defenses were to me more of about a read and react thing. They weren't all that aggressive. It looks like Cal's playing, like you said, there's, there's a much more aggressive defensive style now. Is that coming from like the Tim DeRuiter influence? Is it kind of a combination or how is that all working? Well, the, the thing that's, that's really struck me, and this is going back to, to January when, when, when Coach Wilcox was hired, the way he assembled his staff on both sides of the ball, really savvy. He brought in a really good mix of guys, young, old, uh, you know, Pac-12 experience, non-Pac-12 experience, guys that that had that brought different things to each unit you know so you have uh you know you have a guy who's young and energetic like Marcus Tuiasisopo uh, as the quarterback coach and you have Bo Baldwin who's this uh, incredibly advanced offensive mind uh who's really nimble and and evolves very quickly uh and continuously and then on the defensive side of the ball you ha- obviously coach Greatwood who's who's made a, a a brief pit stop at USC in the past as well uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you have Wilcox's, uh, three down plus one sensibilities where you, you'll have that stand up rush, edge rusher, uh, kind of brought down to sort of make it a four man front, but it's still three down. And then you have Deruder who's done that, but he's also had experience, you know, having, uh, you know, a, a five man sort of front. And then you have Tony Tuiati 
from Michigan, who he he's coaching the outside linebackers in tandem with Jerry Azanero, who's been all over the place. He's been in the NFL. He's coached the Niners, and and he's you know they call him the professor. Uh, I think he coached for the Eagles as well. He's he's incredibly bright. Uh, who's who's got a really interesting way of looking at it, and so they co-coach the defensive line and outside linebackers because those five those five those five positions are essentially speaking the same language and they're going to use the same verbiage and because in nickel situations you're going to have two down linemen and two rush backers basically so they're going to have to work together quite a bit um so it really is it's it's a collaborative it's a collaborative enterprise on the defensive side of the ball and then of course you have Gerald Alexander, who's an NFL, you know, a five-year NFL vet coaching your back end. So it, it really is, and he's he's very young. He he came from his first job at Montana State, and now is uh, is coaching Cal. His first big-time job, a former Boise State DB who made a big pick in that Fiesta Bowl against uh, Oklahoma. So you have this really interesting mix on the defensive side of the ball, along with your head coach, who is a defensive-minded guy, and they've all kind of. They ping-pong ideas back and forth. I would love to be a fly on the wall in their staff meetings because they ping-pong these ideas back and forth, uh, and, and it's very much uh, – it, it really is very much a team effort in, in that regard. It sounds like scheme-wise it's similar to what Clancy Pendergast, who's now at USC but was at Cal, is kind of running with the, the two down linemen and two kind of rush backers. And so playing a lot of nickel, it seems like. Uh, I mean, against passing teams, yeah, which which I'm interested to see how they will approach USC. Like we've said, you know, Ginger Heisman, Sam Darnold has a great arm. He's able to extend plays with his legs. Uh, in fact, Cal saw that a little bit with Shea Patterson last week. I don't know how much you saw of that game. It was the late, 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 late game. Yeah. Uh, for for the Pac-12, but shut but him Shea, down in the the whole second half. I mean, that was impressive. Shea Patterson is a really good quarterback. I've I've watched him through his recruiting the recruiting process but the, the cow shut him down the second half that was really impressive yeah and and a lot like Sam, sam's a little bit more of a runner uh he'll, he'll he can actually make yards with his legs but uh patterson is a guy who kind of scrambles and runs around and and creates havoc and goes laterally and will make something happen and cow is able to stop that from from happening usc has had so many injuries on on their defensive side of the ball we'll get to that in a moment how is the offensive line doing health-wise? It seems like it's contagious. I want to make sure everyone's okay over there uh, <laughs> b- because it seems like the next person that goes down is going to be your left tackle. Yeah, so 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 far it's been pretty good on the offensive line. Um, they've really just stuck with their five guys. They have a the sixth man off the bench is a true freshman in Andrew Voorhees, and he's had to come in a couple of times. So Chuma Doga, who is the starting right tackle, um, he ended up leaving in the first half and they put like a club on him. He had a wrist injury. He's actually been practicing again. So I, I assume he's going to play. Uh, but Andrew Voorhees is, was the guy that came in for him, uh, when he went out. And then I think one of the guards, uh, Vianne Talamavaya, like Talamavaya, he, uh, he ended up coming out for a couple of plays for like a, um, I think it was a knee brace or something like that. It wasn't a big deal. So we saw the same guy, Andrew Voorhees, kind of come in. So he looks like the sixth man. So if anyone gets hurt, for the most part, though, the offensive line is fairly healthy. It's just Chuma Doga kind of coming in and out. We'll see. Uh, he should be able to play. He practiced, but um, we'll see what his status is for Cal. And and now let's get into uh, the, the, big, the big story for USC. And, again, unusual in college football, 
the injuries uh, that at least have been have been public knowledge. Uh, up here, we have the, the we we sort of have the the NHL uh, injury reporting model: upper body, lower body, uh, and generally only when a guy is out for the season is that injury confirmed. Uh, so we know some guys who may not play, but uh, not not uh, no specifics. You guys uh, seem to be a mash unit. USC seems to be uh, dealing with 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 quite quite a few injuries. I think I saw a number of five of the 11 players on defense who started against Stanford uh, were remaining by the second half against Texas. Yeah, there's a bunch of dudes that uh, kind of got banged up. And, you know, we saw yesterday in practice, um, you know, several guys were held out. Some of the so some of the bigger ones, uh, Port Augustine, who ended up having surgery on Wednesday before the Texas game put a couple of screws and a plate into his foot. You know, he had a, a toe injury. Um, he came in, he didn't practice, you know, it was Wednesday to Saturday and he played in the first half of the game and uh, started bleeding through his shoe. Like it was bad. So he, he made plays, but he probably shouldn't have been out there playing. He kind of had to come out. It was just too painful on his, you know, just having surgery a few days before, but also tore his biceps a little bit. So he, we have not seen him uh, at practice yet this week. Uh, we'll see. Um, he's 50, 50, I would say at best, and it could be out like, uh, an extensive period of time. So we're not really sure. We didn't get any more of an update yesterday after practice because we didn't see him out there, but that's the, that's the biggest one. He's one of the guys that makes a lot of plays in the backfield. Um, Marlon Tui Pelotu is a, uh, true freshman defensive tackle. So, uh, he didn't play, but they, they expect to get him back, uh, this week. He had a, a little bit of a knee injury. Uchenna and Wusu, uh, he had a, a elbow sprain on his MCL. He practiced a little bit yesterday and then came out of the game. I expect him to play. He's a outside linebacker guy that against Stanford deflected five passes at the line of scrimmage. So it's pretty ridiculous. You don't really see stuff like that, uh, happening there. One of their inside linebackers, John Houston had a kind of a bit of a neck problem. He practiced yesterday. We'll see. He didn't play in the game against, uh, Texas. Cameron Smith had a finger pop out and he returned to the game. He's an inside linebacker. He'll probably, I mean, he was out there yesterday. He should be fine. Um, and I think that's the main ones, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, uh, Rasheem Green too. He's, uh, their big defensive end. He had an ankle problem. He ended up le- uh, leaving in the second half of the Texas game. Um, and he's, uh, he's, they listed him as day to day. So I kind of, he didn't practice yesterday. I kind of think he'll be back. Uh, for this game, but we'll see. But yeah, a lot of dudes on the defensive side of the ball. No one that's like, you know, out for a really long time, it seems like, but a lot of dudes that are banged up and it could be in and out, or maybe they only play a half and they get hurt again. You know, just not really sure. Yeah, it seems like Porter Gustin just cannot shake whatever. I mean, uh, I was listening to, again, Dan Weber, and he said, well, you, you have a problem with your foot, you start overextending, and maybe that's where the biceps uh, issue came in. Like, geez, he is. I mean, at this time of year, you are already starting to deal with a little bit of dings and bumps and bruises and nicks and scrapes. But geez, he, he is just, he just, he just keeps getting the worst of it, it seems. And he's arguably one of the most dynamic players on USC's defense. Yeah. He's a freak, you know, just, uh, workout warrior. He seems to be in the gym all the time. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's similar to when Juju Smith Schuster got hurt last year. Um, you know, ended up having surgery, I think on Monday and like a plate inserted into his hand. And he played on Saturday, so like six days later. This was like four days before the game, or not even, and on your foot. So it's not like something you could, I mean, you got to run around and stuff. So should he have played? He didn't practice, you know, 
in retrospect, probably not. Um, I think he's just, he's a warrior. They call him Superman. If he can play at all, he will. But in these kind of situations, like you start bleeding through your shoe or whatever because you, your surgery from four days ago and your foot, <laughs> you're running around. That's probably like, yeah, you know, maybe just sit this one out. One of the things that that's interested me is is the amount of penalties USC's had this year and big ones. Not, I mean, the the, the average like per yards per 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 flag is is up there. Have any, any idea what what's going on there? It seems to be a, a lot. A lot of them coming in the secondary a little bit too. Yeah, there have been a lot of problems in the secondary. So some some of those bigger uh, penalties that you would talk about, like um, pass interference or holding and things like that. We've you've seen a lot. I think USC traditionally they're a team that gets um, you know, more than their fair share, you could say they get a lot of penalties. Or, um, I don't know if it's like discipline or a combination of both. I think there's some that are acceptable. They're more aggressive penalties and some that are just like boneheaded ones. Like they got a delay of game penalty after Jack Jones got an interception. So it was just like one of those momentum changing plays. And then you come out and your first play, you get a delay of game. It's like, how's that even possible? So I think, you know, some of it's, on the coaching side, some of it's, you know, players maybe being a little overly aggressive. And sometimes they're just mismatches in the secondary and the, the defensive backs uh, get a little handsy. And, and Clay Hilton tried to address that. They actually had him wear boxing gloves like the defensive backs for a while. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, they got to, you know, pretend that they were Triple G or Canelo or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, they, they've tried to kind of address uh, that. How, how do you think, how, how's Cal's discipline, do you think, been since uh, Justin Wilcox took over? Anything kind of change on that front? Yeah, I, I think they're far more disciplined now. Uh, you are seeing occasionally uh, some of their, you know, uh, ready, aim, fire, and they're shooting right at their own foot. Uh, occasionally, <laughs> there were there were three false starts uh, in, in within a very very short period of time uh, with Cal's offense that also uh, went hand in hand with the delay game on Ross Bowers uh, during the during the game during last week's game. So. Occasionally, you'll see them look as young as they are. Again, this is the first time, you know, this is a redshirt, uh, redshirt sophomore starting quarterback who's never taken, who's never thrown a pass before this season, uh, in, in, in a, in a Pac-12 game. Uh, you have, yes, you have your starting center back, but your starting guards are, are fairly new. You have a redshirt freshman right tackle. So, you know, things are, uh, things are a little, and yeah, and you have a, a first-time regular starter at left tackle, although Patrick McCary, I would consider him a returning starter because he did start a little bit last year. You have occasionally some stupid plays. I have not seen as many stupid plays on defense, and I think that goes to the fact that you have a defensive head coach. They have really addressed a lot of the underlying issues with the Cal defense. The last four years, I've called Cal's defense a group of people that just really aggressively hug you. And <laughs> even then it hasn't been that aggressive. <laughs> kind of like the bro hugs, not really, like super tight. Like, in there, yeah. Hey dude, what's up? You want to get five extra yards? Oh, okay. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. I'll just drag you down a little bit. <laughs> now it's the, they, they've incorporated rugby style tackling that they, they really give the, the amazing thing that I found watching them throughout fall camp when we really got to see them frequently, obviously less frequently now they're in the season, but they start and in spring ball and we saw them a lot. They started with very, very basic tackling drills and they built tackling uh, skill and tackling technique up 
from the like they drew they just ripped it down to the studs and just built it again. And so this team now is tackling in a completely different way than they did before. They're they went to the 27-time national champion rugby program and said, "Hey, what should we do?" And they got some rugby tapes, some film to show the players how people tackle in rugby. And they have made that transition. They have they are shoulder tackling more. You are seeing them wrap up, drag down a lot more, and you are seeing much fewer missed tackles. The big plays that Cal has allowed are really the busts, are really when, well, a guy tripped and the receiver got by him and then you're, you're SOL. Or, the, or there's a leverage situation where they don't get the right leverage and, and a guy gets out. They had allowed two 70-plus yard passing plays and another 40-yarder against against Ole Miss, but those three were all in the first half. Yeah. They didn't allow anything big in the second. So it, the, the tackling has been completely transformed, That's... which is, is – is, 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 and so you haven't seen that many PIs or where guys are playing the player instead of the ball. You haven't seen any of those on defense or false starts for the, or, uh, or offsides for that matter. I mean, that's, that's really impressed me. I mean, I, I love the rugby tackling stuff because Cal has this, you know, historically great, uh, rugby program. So that, you know, utilize the resources you have around you. That's a good one. But for, for me, uh, Ryan, I mean, Cal's out, or outscored opponents 57 to 13 in the second half. Uh, they forced nine turnovers. Uh, so I think that's third in the nation. Um, I mean, to me, that's a sign of good coach. Like they've changed some fundamentals. It's better coaching going on now. This, you just didn't see that kind of stuff with Sonny Dykes. Well, Sonny Dykes was, was an offensive guy, and I don't think he understood the defensive side of the ball at all. You have Justin Wilcox, who obviously is a defensive guy, but we saw him in spring playing scout team quarterback. So he, he, he's not an offensive guy, but he understands the needs of the offense. And which is why his hiring of Bo Baldwin, to me, signaled how smart a guy he really is. Because it's not just, oh, I'm going to be a defensive head coach or we're going to be a defensive team. It was, I'm going to be a defensive head coach. I know what I don't know on offense. So I'm going to bring in a guy who's able to adapt and change and evolve and mold his offense to the personnel that we are, we have currently, the personnel we are going to have, and the personnel that we are, that we may have to recruit. And that's why he brought in Bo Baldwin, and Bo Baldwin obviously saw, he was head coach at, at Eastern Washington for nine years, recruited way over his head, uh, got a guy like Cooper Cup. He has two guys that are on NFL rosters right now, including Cup, uh, with, uh, with our Los Angeles Rams. And, and so he brought him in. And this offense really has been really nimble, and it's been able to adjust. It's going to be able to fit a guy like Brandon McIlwain, who's who has to redshirt this year because of transfer rules, as well as it fits a guy like Ross Bowers. And it's going to be able to function in a two-back or one-back, and it's going to be able to function with two tight ends or one tight end and a full-back. And it, it functions in a lot of different ways. So so th- that's the thing that, that, that really has struck me is how – how smart Wilcox was again, and and this goes back to what I said before: the construction of his coaching staff, and it's all guys that are all like, it's not about them, it's about us. Which, when you're trying to work a preview week, and you're trying to say, hey, what does USC do? What do you what do you think USC does? Well? What do you think? Uh, how do you how are you going to attack? We're, we're only we're only we're only worried about ourselves. Come on, man, throw me a bone, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I get it. That's that's it's up on the wall. It's a poster. 
okay, now let's let's talk turkey. Um, yeah. I, but it's it's a little frustrating <laughs> in, that, oh, in that regard. I can understand for sure. And you know, for me, and I, I agree with you. You want to ask those kind of questions. I think college, college football especially, coaching is such an enormous part of it. You have a lot of emotion with kids. I think you can put a lot of stock in one game. People say one game at a time, blah, blah, blah. Um, Texas put everything they had into the USC game. Like that, you could tell. Like they, they look very different than what they did in the other games. Is there, I think you could do that in college. You can, and I think USC put everything they had in the Stanford game, you know, and you didn't see the, the best results of the games around it. With the Justin Wilcox, Clay Helton thing, do you think there's anything to that with, you know, Justin Wilcox was on the staff. Clay Helton let him go. Is this a game that was circled that, hey, this team's 3-0, and and if they've circled this game and they're still able to win the other games, um, who knows? I mean, Cal could come out on this one like gangbusters, but any thoughts of that or like, bad blood or anything between the two coaches? What do, what do you feel? You know, having listened to both of them on the Pac-12 teleconference, I'm sure you did as well, there doesn't seem to be – I mean – it's it's interesting. Wilcox is Wilcox plays his cards very close to the vest, uh, even inside the vest, I think, uh, in a pocket <laughs> somewhere. Uh, because I asked him, and this is during our forty-five minute long conversation when 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 we first really sat down and talked, and I asked him about Jeff Tedford. You know, he was obviously here with Jeff Jeff Tedford from '03 to '05. And uh, and this, the office that he was sitting in was an office built for Jeff Tedford, and it even has a little antechamber in the back that has a cot, not a cot like a little like a little like a full size bed, because uh, Tedford famously slept in his office so much, and the the bed is still there. And I I asked him if it was weird being in his old in, a, in an office built for his old boss. And that was kind of one of the angles that I was thinking of taking with the profile that I did on him, and and I didn't get much out of him. You know, it was like, no, it's an office. Thanks. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and then I asked, you know, and, and in previous interviews, people had asked him if he had talked to Jeff before he took the job, which would, you know, seem like a, a relatively smart, you know, a, 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 a normal thing to do. Call the guy who, you know, hey, you, you knew the guy who used to have the job. Ask him about it. But, uh, a, I think the job had changed so much that whatever information Tedford had would have been not, you know, not current. But I asked him if he had talked to Tedford since he had taken the job. And this is about a month or two later. And he hadn't. And it didn't seem like he was going to. And I couldn't put my finger on whether he just doesn't think that it's worth his time or whether there's some sort of. And then I asked if Tedford had comment on Justin taking the job. I, t- I, I asked Fresno State. I said, hey, I'm doing this story. And, and Jeff and I did not part on great terms. But, you know, professionally, one would hope that, that there was at least a little courtesy there. And he did not want to say anything about Wilcox taking his old job. So huh, that's very interesting. Yeah, but I can't I can't get deeper than that. I can't dig. I, I've tried and I just hit a layer of bedrock. I can't dig deeper than that. So I don't know what's going on there. It could just simply be that they were colleagues and that's it. And yeah. they, you know, and, 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 and there, there's, there may be nothing there, but there seems to be something there. And I get the same sort of sense from Helton and Wilcox. It doesn't seem like there's something there, but there kind of does. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and they got the whole and, and, the whole Tedford uh, Tim DeRuiter thing too. Tedford took over for Tim DeRuiter, and now he's on. You know, so there's a whole big you know 
it's there's a lot of nepotism, I guess, in college coaching. Oh, right? there's a lot. Of, it's, it's like a lot of incest. I think it's better <laughs> more than nepotism. Uh, but but you know, I, I I listening to Helton and Wilcox. I honestly, Wilcox, I don't just don't think cares. Yeah. I I, I honestly, and this is a, a completely sincere and completely earnest. I don't think he gives half a damn about anything that is not going to help him win football games. That, that that is his guiding principle. That is that is the the lighthouse in the ocean for him is does this help us win games yeah. or does this not help us win games? And it goes to us the media too. Hey, if we want to do a story on X and X is in his mind extraneous, you're going to have to fight for it because you you know, hey, this is a really good story. It is a good story to tell. It will help the perception or at least will give people more information. You have to fight for it, um, you know, for him to let you do the, the, the interviews to get a certain story. And he's been really good about that. I will say this. He's we've really kind of sort of come come to the middle with each other on that. But, yeah, it is really whatever does not help Cal win, win games is something that he has no interest in. And if it's a feud with another coach, an imagined feud <laughs> with another coach, that certainly doesn't help them win games. So I don't, and I also don't think he has a very big ego either. I just don't get the sense that Justin Wilcox has a big ego. I mean, because hey, I, you know, after USC, he you know got the D coordinator job at Wisconsin. So right, you know, he, he it, it's not like it hurt his career at all. You know, he did some great things at Wisconsin. So yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a there there. But there might be, I guess, is a way of hedging it. Yeah. Um. Uh, I. I. I just don't know. And Clay Helton seems to be such a laid back dude that it does. I don't. And, and Wilcox to that for that matter as well. Yeah. They seem to be fairly laid back guys. I don't think that there's any. It's. It's a business. Coaching's a business. There's. There's. Things are gonna happen, and sometimes there are great coaches that they just don't fit what you do. You know. Uh. Just like recruiting. Hey. That's a great player, but he doesn't fit what we do. So, meh, you know, not gonna, not gonna, you know, not gonna let him go. So, I think that's 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 my answer to that. Is I yeah. don't know. <laughs> what a, what um you, know, you talk about some of the youth on the uh, Cal offense, and you know maybe talk about you know with the lack of uh, Trey Watson now and uh you know young quarterback, what the Cal kind of offense has been doing. What's the identity been like? What's they look like? Well, and, and I'm going to kind of enter this into a comparison uh, by way of a comparison with, with uh, or a, a matchup, I guess, with USC. Now, from what I understand, USC's defensive backs have been committing the penalties because there are a lot of bigger receivers that are lined up against them. Yes. They're a little on the smaller side. Cal has one of those. Uh, <laughs> Jordan Vesey, and they get two drops last week. Cal has Jordan Vesey. He's kind of a tight end on the outside. Uh, who's been very, very good so far again until, until last week's game where he did have two drops and, 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 you know, just balls that he should have caught. Uh, so I, and that'll be interesting to see how Cal tries to get those, to, tries to win those matchups because they do have a lot of smaller, faster guys on the outside, especially like Vic Wharton. Now, uh, in terms of the offense, the youth, obviously, you know, you, you lose your starting quarterback, you lose your best receiver. You lose your number one running back. That's a lot to lose. Kalfani Muhammad being the running back, Davis Webb and Chad Hansen, the other two. What Cal does have, obviously, is veteran center, which is nice. They have Patrick Laird, who has been around, and he's been a, a, a leader kind of behind the scenes. Former walk-on, and, right? 
Yeah, former walk-on, got a scully in the middle of fall camp, and it happened in such a way that it was very, very fitting for him. And I profiled him last week, a big profile um, that no one had done, you know, kind of gone into his background and his parents and whatnot. And, um, and, and, and what strikes me about him is that he's just an absolute grinder and a gamer and a guy who, when he sets his mind to it, well, I'm, it, here's something I want to do. I'm going to do everything in my power to do it. And he's not going to say anything about it. He's just going to do it. And, you know, hey, uh, last week he ran for, uh, for over 70 yards against, uh, 78 yards against Ole Miss. Maybe not the ideal, but they got the job done. They had 163 rushing yards as a team, which is what you want. You, you want to be able to run the ball for, for, you know, for 150 plus yards. And he did that. Vic and Weary, who's been around now for three years, uh, he, he finally seemed to sort of crack the code, averaging almost six yards a carry. Uh, he, he, he's kind of the bigger, Six foot two, 230 pound hammer back, and he hadn't really found his rhythm yet. And it looked like they finally had their come to Jesus meeting, and he finally got it and 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 ran fairly well. He had a big fourth and one, 25 yard carry. So you have the running backs there, and beyond them, Zion Eccles is starting to get back a little bit. Really dynamic scat back type of guy, slot back. A guy who can do a lot of things, catching the ball out of the backfield, uh, small but very, very quick. They had him as an inside receiver last year, but he is truly, truly a running back. I'm excited to see. This was just his first week back. His first day back officially was Tuesday. I'm interested to see how the redshirt freshman is going to do when he's put back, put into the fire because I think he's a really dynamic weapon. And he was a guy who was definitely going to be in the mix for some playing time before he got hurt uh, in fall camp. So he's back. Uh, Derek Clark, uh, former two sports star down in San Diego. Uh, he basically is actually going to try to try to try to work out with a baseball team and, and, and make that. But until then, he, I think, is going to be their number three right now. He's a big sort of thunderback, too, but he's also got a lot of pop. So really going to be interested to see what he does. So losing Trey Watson absolutely hurts. This is a guy who is the most complete back Cal has had in quite some time. Kalfani Muhammad was great. He was a great returner as well. But but what Trey gave you was a receiver and the, you know, a guy who could catch the ball out of the backfield as well. Uh, he had he had not dropped a ball in a game in three years. Wow. So yeah. Impressive. So tough, tough, tough to see him go down. But he was he was on his crutches the other day. Had had his uh, had his, his uh, knee brace off and he says, Hey, look, I'm even hobbling fast. I'm like, okay. <laughs> We get it, Trey. <laughs> he, he he wants to be back. I I don't think he will. I, I think there's a, a a pretty good chance that he'll just get healthy and and go for the combine. But at the same time, hey, he got hurt in the second game, so maybe he could get that red shirt. We don't know because he never used a red shirt. So we'll it, it'll be interesting to see uh what you know what what we can see going forward from Trey Watson. But uh you know. The, the the thing that makes this offense go, and I can't believe I'm saying it, uh, it, is Ross Bowers. You know, I would I would have said Trey Watson at the beginning of the season, or Demetrius Robertson. But you know, Ross Bowers is is growing on me so much. And I I said back until the end of last year, I said the guy who's going to be starting next year is going to be Ross Bowers, and he's a gamer. He is an absolute gamer. He has taken just some massive, vicious shots. He had that targeting call. That, uh, that he got leveled on, uh, at North Carolina. He got up the next play 
and threw a touchdown pass. He got yeah, and then, then there was another play where he where he just took an absolute just a a, a a shot from both sides, two defensive ends just sandwiching him, and he still delivered the ball on time for another touchdown. And then on the Vic Wharton touchdown against uh, against Ole Miss, he just got just smushed like a bug on a windshield. Just like one of the big juicy ones that makes a big sound that kind of startles you because you think it's a rock. Yeah, like that. Two big Ole Miss defensive linemen just just crushed him, got the ball in on time, and and right only where Vic could do it. He uh, the fact that he stands in against those shots and the fact that he takes him and gets up and and keeps hammering that's impressive. So I think that yeah, there's a lot of youth, but there's also a lot of chutzpah. Yeah, there's also a lot of guts with this offense. So that's what gives me confidence in them going against the bigger, stronger teams. But, you know, hey, Ole Miss was 100th or worst in all but one defensive category last year. And North Carolina was dealing with a, a multiple quarterback shell game. So now you're going against the USC team, which their biggest complaint is seemingly we don't have a receiver other than Deontay Burnett who can catch a ball. Uh, it, it's now you're, you're going against a team that has, yes, like you said, warts, but you know, it's like, they're more like beauty marks at this point. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, look, there's, there's a little something wrong, but it helps her look cuter. Uh, and, and speaking of that, uh, who, who, who beyond Deontay Burnett can catch something more than a cold for yeah, you guys right now? That's a huge problem. And, uh, they, so they've started, so Deontay Burnett was the hero of the Rose Bowl last year, and then they end up, you know, playing a lot of the younger guys, they, they redshirted like four, um, receivers last year and, you know, expect them to come in and be contributors this year. And, uh, the main guy was Tyler Vons, who's a former five star. He was getting all the first team reps the first couple of weeks of fall camp. And then for some reason, they kind of switched it back over and they had, they, they moved it to more of a veteran group. So they had Steven Mitchell, who's coming off of a couple of knee surgeries as the, one of the other starters. And then Jalen Green, who's a converted, quarterback as the other starter and that was the more questionable one to me I think Stephen Mitchell's played well he's had some touchdowns he's uh I think he's been a reliable receiver for Sam Darnold so I think he's solid in there he's in the the starting lineup it shouldn't be a big deal the Jalen Green one was the one that everyone was kind of questioning and I thought Tyler Vaughn should have probably been getting a nod but they they felt more comfortable with him I think he's a better blocker but you know your receiver like if you're a better blocker that's fine but you got to be a better catcher of the football. I think the nail. I mean, I, Jalen Green's a really nice kid. I, I like him a lot, but he had he had a really and he had a really nice third down conversion catch when USC wasn't getting those kind of catches early on against Texas. But at the end of the half, a ball over the middle hit him right in the hands, and it ends up turning into a pick six for Texas. So that's Texas was being shut out going into halftime until Jalen Green doesn't catch that ball. And I think after that. I think the coaches kind of realize, all right, we got to get people out there that can catch. So I think you're going to see more of Tyler Vaughn's. He ended up having four catches in that game. Almost won the game in double overtime. There was a ball that looked like he caught in the back of the end zone. On further review, it, uh, you know, hit the ground. It just, you know, it just almost had it. It would have been a spectacular catch. Um, but I think the, the coaches feel confident in him. I think Sam Darnold feels confident in him. He actually was getting first team reps. Uh, at practice yesterday. So my guess is, Ryan, for this game, there's going to be a switch uh, in the starting lineup. You're going to see Tyler Vaughn's end up being the starter. And and he's a guy that can high point the ball. He's a former five-star. I love the way he catches it. Um, and, you know, 
They just haven't had a lot of other guys kind of step up. Like a Joseph Lewis was a five-star true freshman. We thought he was going to get more playing time than he has. And it depends how this game goes. Uh, maybe he will. But I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Tyler Vaughn. This, to me, this will probably be the breakout game for Tyler Vaughn. He'll, he'll start catching a bunch of balls and people are like, okay, that guy can play. Uh, but they need someone. They needed someone else to step up, Ryan. I think it's going to be him. But so far, it's really just been the Deontay Burnett show with a little bit of uh, Stephen Mitchell. Yeah, Deontay Burnett and Stephen Mitchell are the only two guys on on the roster with more than 10 catches. And Tyler Vaughn just said he had four catches. He has five on the season. Yeah. My God. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, know, I know USC generally has an embarrassment of riches when it comes to five stars. But when you're not throwing the ball, it's like, it's, it's like he really, you, you only got one catch through the first two games. Okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, that's, uh, he only had two uh, targets. Like he had two targets in the first game. I feel bad. This first ball that was thrown to him, he could have caught it. It was, it would have been tough, but he dropped it. And then he caught another ball where he almost got in the end zone, but it set up a Stephen Carr touchdown. But I mean, that's a five star that redshirted, you know, like that doesn't happen all that much, but he was great. I mean, he was great in spring. He was great in fall camp. So you expected big things. We'll see, you know, we'll see if that materializes. I still think he's going to have a big year, but it's been off to a slow start. Let's talk about Stephen Carr a little bit. You know, we've, we've mentioned him. He's kind of been the ghost in the background of all this. Uh, he is, they, USC uses him in, in so many different ways across the formation. Uh, it, he, and you know, we talked with, with Clay Helton a little bit on the Pac-12 conference call about him. What can you say about, about how they're going to use Stephen Carr and, and how quickly he's assimilated to D1 football. He's been ridiculously good. Uh, you know, he's a, you, you've covered a couple of guys on the West Coast as far as running backs go, recruiting Najee Harris, who's a Northern Cal guy, end up at Alabama and Stephen Carr end up at USC. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't think you could expect anyone to come in as a true freshman and do much more than, than he has. I mean, big, long touchdown runs. Uh, you know, he can run over people. He might be, according to Dan Weber, He's the second best pass catcher on the team, not running back, like catcher of ball. So after Deontay Burnett, he, Dan Weber feels he's the next best receiver that USC has. And if you saw him, that, that jump pass that Sam Darnold had against Texas, where, you know, they had 39 seconds left that are trying to get in the field goal range. Texas, you know, rushes the, the, the whole, their whole right side of their line. Darnold has about a second to do anything jumps up in the air and we talked to him yesterday he said i saw that steven wasn't looking so i had to put more air under the ball so as he's jumping in the air trying to throw a pass he he realized that the receiver wasn't looking at him yet so he had to like put some more air under it and steven carr was just like yeah i just expected to get the ball so i looked up and there it was i caught it and you know ran for like 20 yards or whatever he's been just crazy good and has all of the confidence you know steve uh stam darnold has all the confidence in the world to throw him the football uh they love handing him the ball and you know sprinting to the outside and getting around guys um he's just been crazy good he's and he's not like a liability as far as uh picking up blitzes and blocking they've used him in some two back sets with ronald jones and he just quickly moved up the the depth chart to be like the number two guy so it's a really potent one-two punch with you know ronald jones who's uh you know averaging over a thousand yards the first two seasons and then uh, now Stephen Carr, uh, both of them, you know, got shut down against Texas. Neither of them did anything, you know, too crazy. But, uh, you know, Carr had a couple of nice catches, and I think that's really what propelled him into the spotlight is just the, what he's able to do, making guys miss. He broke a couple of Stanford guys' ankles on a, a swing pass that he caught. To, you know, just one-on-one in the open space. It's just the guy didn't even come close to touching him. So he's a really special player. 
They love him. I mean, you, you talk to all the players, everyone around him. They're like, yeah, man, this guy's really good. Uh, so I think Ryan recruiting stars matter. Sometimes you recruit five-star guys for a reason. And sometimes they end up looking like Stephen Carr and making crazy plays. Yeah. And, and, and then sometimes they don't. You're right. Like Sam Darnold. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was like a four-star guy. It wasn't like he was, you know, <laughs> but he, yeah. <laughs> but he, he wasn't, you know, he, he was not what he has become. I think is, is the best, uh, exactly, is the best way yeah. to put it. And one thing that, that, that caught my eye, seven touchdowns to six picks. You talked about one that came off of a receiver's hands. Uh, other than, but still five in the first three games. I mean, he, he had nine all in 13 games last season. Any, any, any thread that you can find between these is, you know, is there is a misread somewhere? Right. Anything you can attribute those those picks to, because like you said earlier, Cal certainly turn gets gets turnovers. So that's that's something that I think you have to look at in this game. Yeah, he's been uh you know causing. I mean, they haven't fumbled the ball, which is good. But you know, he's had th- two picks in a game and each game. Um, you know, I think Stanford secondary is really good. I think he tried to like thread the needle a little bit too much in those in that one. And I think you know Western Michigan. One of them was like this great play where a guy got his foot in bounds, looked like a receiver making like a spectacular catch. So I think it's been a combination of things. I talked to USC's uh you know passing game coordinator and quarterback coach Tyson Helton about it, and he said you know it's not something we're addressing. You know I, I don't think they feel it's a problem because he's got this knack to make big plays. And if you look at like what Cody Kessler did when he was at USC, and the big criticism was he was just checking down all the time. If it was like, oh, that guy's kind of covered, I'm not throwing it there, you know. Sam Darnold's like, okay, he's covered, I'm throwing it there anyway. I I know my guy's gonna make a play, or I'll I'll run around a little bit, let him get open. He's taking shots downfield. He's throwing the ball over the middle, intermediate routes, where if you don't catch it, it can get tipped up in the air and be intercepted. So I think the nature of how he throws the football, the plays he's trying to make, and he does make chunk plays when the play breaks down. It's not like he can just get away from the, the rush and then run out of bounds for a gain of two yards. He gets away from the rush and he keeps his vision downfield and he's still trying to make a big play where other people are like, ah, you know, the play's breaking down. I'm just going to take what I can. That's not his mentality. And I think the coaches know, unless it becomes like this huge problem where you stop making the big plays and then you're throwing interceptions, the fact that he's, they don't want to stop him from making big plays. So they're not going to tell him, Hey, you know, watch what you're doing here. They want him to make those big plays. So I think. You know, the ratio of big plays he makes to interceptions is still okay. Uh, it's not just touchdowns. It's just other plays that he makes down the field. Um, if there became a problem, then maybe they have to address it. But at this point, Ryan, they don't want to address it. They're like, look, he's doing some great stuff. We don't want to screw up the good stuff by trying to limit some of the bad things that happen. Uh, that's really, I mean, I, I, I think we've covered dang near everything that, 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 that's going into this, yeah. that's going into this game. Do you have anything else that you want to know? about Cal. Obviously this is the Bear Public podcast is for Cal fans mainly, but but we really want to kind of give you an audio preview. So is there anything else that, that, that you're wondering about the Golden Bears? Yeah, I'm recording this for the Parastyle podcast too, so we'll put them up on both. But it's uh yeah, I mean to be three and oh I was very impressed with the trip to North Carolina that you know you got to play at nine in the morning. We're able to come out and play. Um I know Ole Miss is a really talented team. Now SEC teams don't like to travel outside of the geographic area. And when, and, and you, know, you know, when you're a West Coast team, you got to travel a lot. It's not always pretty when you go on the road. Like they, we, there's been clunkers when you just travel for whatever reason. It's a bunch of <laughs> Cal versus Maryland comes to mind. Yeah. Like that was, <laughs> that was not too pretty. Um, and so, you know, hey, 
give the you know Ole Miss props for traveling, but when you travel, it's not the same as playing Mercer at home. You know, <laughs> going to the Grove. <laughs> this is different. You know, and obviously Cal- North Northeast Southern Ohio Technical. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I to to be three and zero at this point, and I, I've just been really impressed with what Justin Wilcox was able to do. Is there something a main thing that you've seen? differently or something that just surprised you coming into the season we were like wow this Cal team is is three and oh I'd never pictured that or what have you seen that's been like the really the biggest difference uh in 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 a phrase uh second half adjustments uh you know much like an actual defense that does more than hugging people <laughs> it is something that we have not seen in the past four years in Berkeley uh we have really and really even six you know, Tedford's later years, we didn't see a whole lot of second half adjustments either. So seeing a team come out and like you said, you know, scoring, outscoring opposing teams on more than 40 points in the second half, it's, it's astounding to me, uh, that, that you see issues in the first half that you start writing your analysis or you start writing your recap and, and those take a prominent place. And then you're like, Oh, well, then, then now here's the turn. Uh, and, and, and things completely change in the second half. It really, and now you, I'm starting to kind of build into those stories. Yeah, but in the second half, uh, you know, you start, you start the second half of your story like that because that's what they are doing. They're changing. And, and the interesting thing to me is that, you know, talking with players, you know, talking with Wilcox, Wilcox says, we're not putting in a new defense. You know, we're just, we know what we're doing wrong and we fix it. <gasps> Wonder of wonders. <laughs> oh my God! That's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> what way? What? 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 Uh, you know, it's it's Berkeley, so you kind of have to you know wipe the smoke away and and wait. What? You, what was that? A radical idea. And it's like I said, it's not. It, it, they aren't big adjustments. They're just hey, listen, you looked for this, they gave you that, and they did it consistently. Let's not do that again. <laughs> oh, really? That's okay. Cool. That's a good idea. Um, and, or, uh, God, specifically against North Carolina. And I remember they allowed Michael Carter to run for 71 yards on seven carries. And there were a lot of stretch plays that they were getting to the outside. They were able to turn that corner because Cal wasn't sealing the edge. After halftime, Cal was managed, Cal managed to set the edge very effectively. And I think they may have, uh, you know, gotten 23 yards on, on, Carter got 23 yards on five carries after that. So, uh, you know, they, they, they really changed. I mean, they, they halved the running game, really. And that really hurt North Carolina because their quarterback, you know, they were depending on being able to run the ball to set up the play action downfield because their mid range passes were not very accurate. So they were trying to get the ball downfield. But when Cal shut down their running game, they weren't able to do any of the other stuff. So the, it's, it's that kind of adjustment that has a cascade effect you know you know if if cal against usc is somehow able to stop stephen carr and ronald jones that's gonna that's gonna have a cascade effect that's gonna make them pass gonna make sam darnold pass more and throw into those tighter windows and cal has been really good at disrupting those tighter windows and if not you know if not sealing them off then by getting in the way of the ball, by putting a receiver between the ball and the, uh, between the ball, by putting a DB between the ball and the receiver and getting contact and tipping the ball. We've seen, I, you know, 
I believe a three or four of Cal's interceptions have been tip drill interceptions. So th- th- just screwing things up and mucking up the works, that's that's something that we did not see the defense do ever before uh, in the last four to five years. We haven't seen the defense just really play like they are trying to screw everything up. And that's kind of – it's fun to watch. We saw it in the fall. We saw it in spring. We knew that's the direction this deep, that this secondary was was headed to. A guy like Quentin Tartable, who was kind of buried on the depth chart and for whatever reason didn't mesh with the old coaching staff, you know, he's just starting safety now, and he's laying the wood, and he's hitting people. And the new defensive scheme has opened up to allow a guy like Devontae Downs, incredibly fast, incredibly athletic, played both sides of the ball uh, in, in, in high school, to be this this extraordinary blitzer. And that fits in perfectly with how Cal has been using the stunts, twists, blitzes from everywhere. Cameron Bynum got a got a sack uh, the other day. It was his first sack that he'd ever had because he had never been put on a corner blitz before in his life. <laughs> and and he got quite he, he got half a sack with James Louie. And it, so it they're finding ways to blitz from everywhere. And it's and like I said, it's being able to look and go, huh? Well, oh, gg calling whiz. That's that's a defense, folks. And so that that really is 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 the kind of the the underlying thing is the adjustments that they've been able to make and the fact that they don't look at what another team is doing they look at what they are doing you know hey they got us with this because we did this or because we showed this so let's disguise this better let's look you know and so it's it's really a kind of an in it's it's kind of an inside out way of looking at things which as I've said with with Wilcox before it doesn't. You know, it's not about what they do. It's not about anything else outside of the building. It is about what Cal does, and it is about what can help us win a football game. It's all everything like I said is run through that filter. Well, it should be really interesting. One, two, three, and O teams. Uh, but to LA fans, there, there's a lot going on in the Bay Area, right? The the Rams are up there. UCLA's yeah. up there. USC's a good old, up a, there. A good old fashioned uh, twelve thirty start. We'll all get home before dark. Be fantastic! I'm excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> awesome, Ryan. All right? Yeah, this was cool, yeah. man. Yeah, I love doing it with you, man. I'm excited to see you. Uh, for Ryan Abraham, this is Ryan Gorsey, publisher of BearTerritory.net for Scout.com. And of course, Ryan, uh, the proprietor of USCFootball.com. We will see everybody at 12:30 on Saturday. At remember, it's going to be on ABC. If you can't make it, it's the Joe Roth game. Cal will be wearing throwbacks to 1975 for that game, bringing them back for the first time in 10 years. Ryan, thanks for joining the Bear Republic Podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. All right, and uh, that'll do it for us. Thanks for playing along. We'll catch you on the flip side. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.